Welcome to Season 3 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 53, Batman, the Animated Series, Gotham City Under Siege. Today, we are joined by Michael Giuliano, a co-designer on the Batman Animated Series game, as well as host of The Full 42 and a convention organizer for QScon. Thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you for having me, Danielle. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah. Uh, well, to start out, mind telling everyone how you got into the gaming industry? Yeah, funny enough, it was this Batman game. Um I'm, I'm sure we'll do a deep dive into, into how it worked, but um, I was—I uh, owned a tutoring center, and uh, I came up with this really math-heavy equations game for some of the students that were having problems with basic mental math. And um, at one of the conventions I used to frequent, I had met Richard Lanius over uh, a few years and then uh, grew some courage to ask him to take a look at a little prototype that I had. Um and it led us to developing the game, um, which I guess part of the story, um, my first experience in the modern board game was Arkham Horror. So to be able to call Richard a friend now with that game being the one that kind of lassoed me into the hobby is uh, something very special. I'm sorry, that was one of the first games that got you in? That's incredible. That's yeah. not like, I don't know, Sushi Go or Catan or Ticket to Ride. Nope, nope. I, I went, I went uh, heavy. Um, my neighbors at the time, um, and this is 2013, probably 2012, maybe. Um, literally, my next door neighbor is the house right next to me. Um, I would run into the husband at random, like at the market and at GameStop and just random places, and he'd always invite me over for gaming. He's like, "Yeah, we're playing games this weekend if you're free," and it's literally the next door. I'm like, "Oh yeah, what kind of games do you play?" And up until that point, it was like, you know your typical Monopoly, Scrabble, Trivial Pursuit kind of stuff in my head. Uno, maybe. And uh, he's like, yeah, well, we get together and we play like seven people. And it's like these 1920s uh, investigators and there's these cultists and they're trying to resurrect this great old one. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. Like, I don't need to get sacrificed today. I'm good. And then he's like, yeah, you should come over next Saturday. Like, we're playing it again. It went really well last time. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then one day I just kind of, uh, took the leap, walked next door with like some kind of snacky thing and some um, liquor. And I was just, I walked into their kitchen and they had their, their kitchen table, you know, like a big kitchen table. And there's just stuff everywhere, a big board with minis all over the place. And then at the head of the table, one, one head of the table, there was like a TV tray off to the side with just stacks of cards. And on the other side of the table, there was another TV tray of just stacks of cards and I'm like, what did I just get myself into? And uh, the next three, three and a half hours were some of the best uh, moments in, in my modern history. Like the story that came out of it, the laughter, the, the narrative that was just created. And it was, you know, it's a dice rolling kind of like, I roll like crap kind of game. But it was so epic. And uh, that was it. I was hooked from then on. It was just, just head first into this hobby. That's so awesome. Okay, very cool. And then I guess like let's go to Batman the animated series Gotham City Under Siege. How do you play it? Yeah, so it's a cooperative um, dice allocation game. Um, everyone takes uh, a character in the animated, arguably the best uh, universe: um, Batman, Robin, the Gotham City Police Department, Catwoman, and Batgirl. 
Um, and then you have a hero card and on your hero card are different spots where you can put the dice. Um, and some of them require a certain number or higher. Some of them require a certain number period. Um, and on, on everyone's turn, uh, you roll your dice and then everyone will select one of their die in uh, a certain order. It doesn't have to be like first player clockwise kind of stuff. Trying to do damage to the, 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 the baddies that are in the different battlefields, um, and the masterminds that are causing havoc in the game all while trying to satisfy act cards. So the game takes place over four acts. Um, and then there's a setup card that lets you know how many different uh, story cards there are, how many masterminds there are in, in, in the games. Um, so the game varies from, from, from game to game, from session to session. Um, but you play four acts. Um, you, you, you take a die and you place it on your card or on the story card to satisfy a thing. Um, and then somebody else does the same thing with, with uh, selecting a die. Once everyone selects a die, you roll the rest. So now you start with four, you'd be down to three, then two. Um, once you're out of dice, once the dice pull for all characters are done, then the masterminds and the, and the, the, the baddies kind of hit back. Um, you're trying to survive four acts and beat Raish at the end while trying to not let a three by three grid of buildings all collapse. Um, and not let a wounded character get wounded. If a character gets wounded, their hero card flips over. Um, and on the other side are different abilities. Uh, there's always a way to, to, to heal yourself. Um, but you're working together, going to the different battlefields. A lot of the characters play off each other, whether you're up on the rooftops and coming down off the rooftops, or you're with another character and enhancing their um, attack. Super, super fun. I'm obviously, I'm biased, but the uh, expansion, uh, Masterminds and Mayhem, kind of give the Masterminds an elevated take that to the game. Uh, in the base game, they're kind of there, and they're a little bit more powerful, but they're static for the most part. And the expansion gives you um, some of the characters move around the battlefields. They'll go up on the rooftop. They'll, like, trap a guy. It's, it makes it um, more fun if, if you like a little bit of evil in your game. I love that so much. I also do love that the board has like the cities and stuff like these little, what is it? Cardboard pop-ups. Yeah. yeah little foldables. They stack in each other. Um, there's basically three different shapes. Um, and then in the three by three grid and the rooftops, uh, there's three, three by three buildings and the rooftops is a location and you kind of had a bird's eye view of all the battlefields. Um, but when, a, when, a, when the end of the round happens and the baddies kind of attack, um, what they'll do is they'll roll for a, a, like a destructive roll and on an odd number, um, you'll take out one of the buildings and, um, underneath it is a card and it'll either, um, have cause an explosion or trap a civilian or maybe do nothing if you're lucky. Um, and the game will end if your civilian, um, track counter or your explosion track counter ever hit zero. Um, so there are multiple ways to, lose the game, the wounded character loses it, civilians to zero loses it, explosions to zero loses it, and if you cannot complete all four acts, and the only way you win is to survive the story of Act 4, um, and then you win or lose together. That's very cool. So I know on the act cards, you have like Scarecrow, Joker, kind of like rogues, and then uh, Raish, I want to say. Yeah. Do those acts just like, are those the villains for each of those acts? Or is it like mixed and match? Like, how does that all work? Yeah, there's a mix. So it's it. it each act will have a um, main story card, um, whether it's Joker's Funhouse or the Scarecrow is doing some bad stuff, or you're fighting Race at the end. Um, 
And then throughout the game, the masterminds will come into play, uh, depending on how setup goes. And you could have, you could have Joker and Harley and Clayface all in the battlefields messing with you in the same game. Um, and then the next act when you're doing the masterminds, you could have a, a, a variety of others. Condiment King is in there. I mean, there's a little bit of deep cuts too when you get into the, oh the Mastermind and Mayhem one. So funny. Yeah, Condiment King. Yeah, there's uh, there's some good ones, um, especially if you're a fan of of the animated series. Um, and they're fun. Some of them are static still, so they're not as complicated. But um, the idea is to to hit them with a certain amount of health. So the the variety of them, the the the, the bad guys go from health of one, two, and three. Um, and then the masterminds will be like your four fives and sixes. Um, but like, for instance, the Joker, if the Joker mastermind is in play, um, if you go to hit him, you'll spend your six hit points to try and hit him. But the way he works, instead of it being in the base game where he's just like, if you've done six, he's, he's trapped. You'll call out a number. You call out two numbers and roll a die. And if the die result is one of the two numbers you called out, then you've captured him. But if it's not, you'll just move clockwise to the next battlefield. So you've wasted kind of that attack moment. So he just messes with you and it's more thematic to the characters um, as you play as well. Very cool. What made you decide? Well, I guess like what inspired the design of this game? Uh, so here's where it gets fun. In in the beginning, remember I told you I, I was doing that uh, math game for the students and I, I had this yeah. little equations game. So it was themed in... Um, for fans of Marvel, it was themed in Avengers 2, where the Avengers, the lot of them, were um, protecting that bomb, and all the Ultron bots were coming in trying to get that thing to trigger. Um, so the equation game was like, roll the dice, you got 30 seconds to satisfy as many of the equations as possible. There were three different sectors that the Ultron bots were coming in, and each Ultron bot had a different equation. So basically, box plus box equals box. And one of those boxes would be highlighted and you'd roll the Ultron bot dice to kind of seed it. So for instance, let's say in the box plus box equals box equation, the equals box, that would be, I don't know, populated with a five, say. Now on our turn, we have our dice that we're rolling and we're trying to um, satisfy that equation. So the, the box plus box to make it equal five, every bot that you, every equation you satisfied would defeat that bot. Every equation you couldn't would move one forward. If it happened to move forward onto the bomb, it would hit the bomb, and you had 12 hits before the bomb exploded. So that's where the game started. And I knew that Richard was a Marvel fan. He is a diehard Captain America fan. So a few years had gone by, and we had developed a little bit of a friendship. And that's when I was like, hey, do you mind looking at this game for me? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So I put it in front of him, and we played around. And he's looking at it going, okay, let's play it again. I'm like, okay. So, and remember, 30 seconds. So we played it again. We started rolling the dice. He tried to break the game on the second time, go around, right? Because every character had this like OP ability where if you rolled all four of the same number, I think it was all four ones, then your, your ability triggered. Uh, and then we had a little bit of a discussion about like that and, and why wouldn't you just try and do that all the time? So, like, remember, this is, like, my idol in board gaming. His game is what brought me yeah. into the hobby. I'm, like, ingrained in the hobby now. Like, board games are the best thing ever. And I'm sitting across the table with him looking at my game. He takes a piece of paper, and he's like, so here's a couple ideas. And he jots down this idea of the central board and your character, and your character has places to put the dice, triggering abilities. 
he, he wrote it out in a, a few minutes. It, it wasn't long at all. And he turned the paper around, he slid it to me. He goes, but those are just my ideas. Like use whatever you want. And I'm sitting here still in awe that Richard is, is across the table from me. And I look down at the paper and I see, I still have it in my, my prototype of the original thing we have. I still have it in my box and it's got all the scribbling and it's got like the little dice things. And I'm looking at it going, Holy crap. I look up, I'm like, would you design it with me? And he looked down and he's like, yeah, no problem. Like, I think I started shaking. I don't remember because yeah. it was all a little <laughs> bit of a blur as he walked away. Um, so then the next few weeks, we had a working prototype in a month of what we had as an idea. But it was in the Avengers universe. And it was the battle for New York where we were the main Avengers. And we were fighting the Chitauri that were coming down and taking out the city. So the three by three grid in Gotham was really New York City. And me being a diehard Ranger fan, like my little prototype made out of like index cards, I put Madison Square Garden in there. Um, so we had this thing working in, in a, a, about a month where we were like, okay, we feel good. Let's, let's play test it. And then it was just pictures and emails of how things worked and play testing it. And then in 2018, it was out. <laughs> it was like, my name is on the box with, with, Richard Lanius, and I'll never forget, it still, it kind of chokes me up every now and then, but I still, I printed up the email, but we went back and forth. We, we, we met at Gen Con in 2017. He was pitching the game to people he knew and he, he pitched it to IDW and IDW at the time, um, uh, well, now it doesn't matter, but they, they didn't have the Avengers license and the uh, owner or the guy that was in charge heard about the game because he wasn't there when Richard pitched it and reached out to Richard like, Hey, I, I heard you have a game I need to look at. And then they played it and he loved it. And they just wanted to play around. And the guy was like, let's just keep playing. So they played a full four act game instead of just like the one act demo that he was doing. And he's like, so look, we don't have the, the license for this, but we just signed a contract for Batman animated. Would you be interested? And he's like, well, let me talk to my co-designer. So like Richard, calls me on the phone like my phone lights up now and richard's name is on it and that's just surreal and he's like so yeah. we have an opportunity you want to meet and talk and he's like this is what we can do and i'm like well yeah like it's the animated series like absolutely let's do it <laughs> i was gonna so, say I was like, like i was such a fan of that growing up like oh big fan God. it's so good it's really good and uh it's sad um recently uh kevin conroy passed away and uh you see a yeah. lot of those comics with the like I have no voice kind of thing. It's, it's, it's gut wrenching, but one of the best, if not the best live action, I think Keaton takes it, but Batman overall, Kevin Conroy and that whole series, even if you go into Batman beyond and him as old man, Bruce mm -hmm. and what he did with that character is just phenomenal. So yeah, we, oh. we, we ported it over. So um, a little behind the scenes in the Avengers game, Captain America has his shield and one of his abilities is to take his shield and throw it as he does. And it hits the highest ranked villain in each of the battlefields. Well, porting that over to Batman, that's Batman's Batarang. Batman throws the Batarang, it hits every battlefield and hits the villain. So it was a really easy um, port to go from the yeah. Avengers universe to Batman. It was, it was basically seamless. And then we just made sure it was uh, on brand, making sure the Joker and, and Two-Face and all of them kind of did a thing. Um, like there's a coin in the game that, that works with Two-Face. Yeah, it was it was... It's still so I so all that to say when he when he went back to them and said, Yeah, we're interested in doing it, we got the contract and 
got the verbal agreement, he sent me an email about, all right, so this is what we're going to do. We'll just port it over. We'll work on it. And the ending of his email was, congratulations, you'll be a published designer. Now, remember, yeah. Arkham Horror was what got me into the, the hobby. And now I have this idol of mine now sending me an email congratulating me that I'm going to be a published. It's all just so unbelievably surreal. Still surreal. That is so cool. I love that. That is such a good story. It's bonkers. It's still, it's, it's afforded me so many opportunities from then. Um, Cause I wouldn't have the full 42. Like I wouldn't be as ingrained in the board game space as I am right now. Had I not had, I still would have been a, a hobbyist, right? I still would have been going to conventions and playing games and doing the thing, but I'm, I'm on such a different plane than I was all because of, that experience because I, I, it, it's it's a very atypical way to start right there are, there are plenty of designers that have been trying for years to get a game signed and published and my story is not i don't take it for granted it's a very special unique situation that has afforded me a lot of opportunity to strengthen not only the community here in syracuse but board games in general weird that is amazing <laughs> it's not weird it happened how it needed to happen and that's awesome that it's like helped you grow and get more into the community and stuff it's a great community i mean even before that whole situation going to that convention was down in florida um and it was it was the dice tower con it was before it was dice tower east yeah. and I'm up here in New York, right? So that that convention, the first time we went, the first time I went was with the neighbors that introduced me to Arkham. Um, so going down there with them and having that experience with 1,500 people at the time, um, it was the second year that they were in um, existence. So that I think it was 2013, I want to say. But yeah, being there as a fan, right? As like, oh, what is this? What is this world, right? Like Jack Skellington finding out that Christmas Town is real. It was, it was, it was an amazing experience. And then from there meeting Richard was on, like, he, he led a game at the convention of Arkham. I rolled like absolute garbage the entire time. He was making fun of me the entire time. That was the first experience I had. Like I met him and was like, Oh wow, that's Richard Lonnie. like, that's amazing. And then played Arkham while he was running it and was like, this is going to be great. The designer I'm going to do so good. I did nothing. I played like garbage it was awful. Oh, no. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was horrendous. So yeah. But then it was like, it was that moment that like kind of stuck. So like when I saw him after he was like laughing about it and um, then fast forward a few years and it's just, it's been, it's been a ride, man. Wait. So how did you two go about playtesting and developing the game together since you were in different locations? Yeah. So this is um, lately in, in modern times, uh, before or post COVID era, you have like Discord and Zoom and all these things that magically just appeared, which all existed, but um, kind of came to the, the the top of the pile when when stuff like that happened. But before then, it was straight up phone calls. I was taking pictures on my phone of the game state after every round or when things would come up, putting them in, putting them in an email sending him an email with a little write-up of how we did it, like how the game worked and where it kind of jammed up and some ideas of like, well, we could fix it this way. And it was all straight. Like it was, it was completely different experience than what, like what's going on now. Like I'm, I'm with uh, 3WS um, as the manager of game development. 
and hopping on Tabletopia and playing a game to see if something worked with the designer, like, hey, you guys free? Let's hop on the thing. And then under an hour, you have a fix for a game. Where like developing this with Richard was like, it was a back and forth email process. Yeah, I feel like technology got a lot better <laughs> for game design. Oh, yeah. I oh, love yeah. being able to play test online. It makes my life so much easier and it makes iterating a lot faster. For sure. And it's, it's equally as frustrating though. Like there was a game that I was playing, I think it was Thursday or Friday. No, Thursday was Thanksgiving, Wednesday maybe. It was really easy to put the game up in digital form. It wasn't complicated. I had it up maybe in an hour and a half by the time it was published. Uh, again, I took photos of the, the card. Like I have the physical prototypes. So I took photos of the card and I put it in the computer and the computer does its magic and now it's playable online. But playing it online with the team was super frustrating, like clicking and dragging and highlighting and shuffling and all of that stuff is is equally convenient and frustrating at the same time. Yeah, I think. So how did you decide on what characters to use in the game? I know. I mean, it's based around the animated television show. So you got Batman, Robin, Batgirl and the rest that you named. Uh, Like, what were the choices like, were there a lot of choices or is it just like, oh, hey, these are the main characters. Let's go with them. Yeah, I think out of the gate, there were there were the, the obvious ones, right? The Batman and Robin, which was, was a no brainer. Um, in the Avengers game, we had Hulk. So we had to come up with a way to um, have an interesting balance of um, pressure, luck and destruction. Where Hulk would have an ability where you'd roll three dice and you could you could use two of them instead of using one. Um, but if you roll doubles, you destroy a building. So it's kind of like his rage out kind of thing. Well, we use Gotham city police department and Bullock and Bullock is kind of that hothead that kind of doesn't think and will run into a, yeah. a, into a place. So he was easy to move, uh, to move forward with. Um, Batgirl was another obvious answer. She had to also be in there and she's super fun to play. Um, yeah. a little more challenging than playing Robin, but she's, she's amazing. And then thinking of the fifth character, because we wanted to have options, we landed on Catwoman because that dynamic, right, with, with, with Batman and Catwoman, even uh, more lately in the, in the comics, um, Catwoman is an extremely interesting character. But her, you don't necessarily trust her, right, because she's kind of a villain. So you're like, do I use her help? Is she just trying to pull one over on me? So one of her abilities is you can't, she can't be the first person to place a die on a story card. So we won't let her lead a story or lead the investigation on a story or try and satisfy a story because we don't trust her because she's still, she's still on the fence, right? We, we, we don't know if we can trust her. So someone has to lead with a story, a die on a story for her to follow with. Um, so it's fun to, to, to bring her in as a character and give her a different feeling um, than the rest. Because playing with her, it, it, it changes the game, right? Um, normally, if you're playing Batman and Robin, well, you roll your dice, you select a die, you put it on a thing, you move along. But if you're playing with like Batman and Catwoman, well, now the story has become uber important for Batman because none of them can even get started by Catwoman until Batman puts one on there. So it changes, it elevates the, the puzzle a little bit by having a character that's a little more dynamic in the game. Interesting. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Yeah, personally, Batgirl is my all-time favorite superhero, like Barbara Gordon. Love her. So mm-hmm. very glad that she's in the game. She's great. She's super fun. And she's even better in the 
Well, she's really great. I can't say she's better in, in Batman Beyond. She's really great in animated. She's good in, in Batman Beyond, but the whole animated world is the DC animated world, especially Batman is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, DC does really good work when it comes to their cartoons, like their cartoon <laughs> movies, cartoon TV shows. I love and adore them all. And yes, love Batgirl. Super big. Great fan. world. So how is the game doing now? It is out of print. It did. Uh, it did really well. It was one of, um, at the time it was one of IDW's, um, top sellers. It did, it did really well for them. Um, it won a diamond, uh, select award, uh, the first year it was out and then, you know, chaos kind of hit, uh, the world and IDW suffered. And now IDW games is no longer a thing. Um, publishing is still, they're still doing the publishing side, but the IDW games, uh, is no longer. So, uh, Batman has whatever is out there in the world, um, that's not eaten up already, whether it's, you know, at, at your friendly local game store or, uh, other places. Um, but right now that's where it lives. So did you get the rights back where like, I don't know if you found someone who had the Marvel license, you could make your initial Avenger game. We could. And this kind of speaks to just Richard, um, and how awesome he is, but the, the opportunity came up and it's still, it's still a thing that, um, I guess I, I don't want to talk about because I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about, Fair. but I reached out to Richard and I said, look, this is happening. What do you want to do? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you want to like get the rights back where he goes, eh, whatever. We could just make a better game. <laughs> like, wait a minute. We just made a kick-ass game. That's pretty good. And I'm like, well, we can get the rights back. And he's like, yeah, no, we learned a lot. We can make a better one. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's like, he, funny. He's just that kind of character was just like, yeah, no, it was good, but we can make something better, even better. So like to, to, to try and get the rights back to a game that we'd, we'd probably have to or we'd want to make better based on learning experiences. Like there's an FAQ up on VGG about some stuff that was unclear in the first iteration that hopefully we, we, we cleared up with the masterminds expansion. Um, we listened to a lot of uh, fan feedback about namely the masterminds from, from the base game um, that they were just, they were just too static. And even in the rule book and the way I play it, if you were to play it with me or the way that I would suggest to play it is, and I think it stays true to the, the series, the villains and the masterminds should be different. And in the rule book, it explains villains. Take the, the, the highest villain in the battlefield. All right, well, that includes everybody that's in the battlefield, whether it's a stack of ones or a stack of threes or a mastermind, because the mastermind is its own stack in the battlefield. And I think the masterminds, like the main villains in the, the stories that you, you watched or read or however you consumed um, the animated series, um, I think they needed special attention, right? Like you shouldn't be able to jump down off a rooftop and just happen to take out, I don't know, Clayface or Harley. Like there should be a little more attention to those special people. So in my games, villains and masterminds are different. If it says there are certain situations where the, vocabulary the definition of those two words changes and if you're if you're swinging your batarang from the north battlefield and you're taking out the main the highest ranked villain in each battlefield i don't think the batarang should take out a mastermind in the east a mastermind in the west a mastermind in the south and a mastermind in the north i think that's way too overpowered 
but that's the way the rules read. So in my games, that doesn't fly. You need to go and attack the villain, the mastermind villains head on. You can't just get away with mm-hmm. like kind of skirting them. So there's a little bit of, of play in that the way that the game was, was uh, defined in the rule book and the, in the spirit of, of the animated series, how it should play. Um, but the masterminds in the, in the expansion really elevate how the masterminds play in the game, right? Like two face has a coin in the base game. Two face is just a five. You do five damage, two faces captured. All right. That's not necessarily very special. And initially that was just, we were just making them harder to get. Um, and then based on feedback, a lot of them, well, we wish the masterminds did something special, blah, blah. So yeah, no, that makes sense. So now we have them where like you do damage, you flip a coin. If it comes up heads, he moves. If it comes up tails, you get them. Uh, that might be vice versa. I might have that backwards. But like uh, man bat comes out on the rooftop um, instead of just out in a battlefield. And you have to go to the rooftop and satisfy it with a five mm. in order to catch him. So that they, they bring more to the game, um, which we learned from the initial kind of playthrough. And then... Just to, to talk to him about, yeah, why don't we why don't we do that and try and shop it around? Yeah, no, we can make something better. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. And how yeah. long do you think in total it took from like the inspiration of the game to its publication? That was um, so. Dice Tower Con was July of 2017, and then. We had a working prototype and we're pitching it at Gen Con that year. So August, we had a, a prototype in a month. And then we, we defined okay. it, we redefined it. And um, it w- again, it was still pitched as Avengers, but having the Batman license, we had to port it over. We had to figure out, you know, does everything work for, for uh, Batgirl? Does everything work for Catwoman? Does everything work for, for the GCPD? Um, and then fine tuning that, giving them all the files, I think by January. So they sent it off to print and then it was, it was released in October of 2018. And the sad, the sad point here, um, Gen Con is August and it wasn't here for August. And then Gen Con of 19, it wasn't at Gen Con 19. So it never really had it's a moment at a big convention like that. Um, Ross Thompson at the time was with them and he promoted the hell out of it at different places, but it just missed um, having Gen Con um, on, on either end of it, um, which was a little sad for me because that was, you know, a big moment. Um, the highlight was 2018. They had prototypes of it, advanced prototypes of it. And I went over from the booth that I was with at the time and kind of just hovered, introduced myself to the, the person that was demoing. And um, we talked a little bit about it. He had a couple questions and uh, some people were coming up to play. And he's like, you want to play? And I had watched the game go through and he didn't really, he didn't have any questions for me while I was standing there. The game went off great. Like everything, they played an act and it was awesome. So I play, I stepped in because there was an open spot and I played as Robin. And about halfway through the act, a question had come up. It was a really good question by one of the players about the timing of certain things. And the, the gentleman who was, was uh, demoing was like, Oh, that's a really good question. Why don't we ask the designer? And he looked at me and you saw the table kind of go like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> and they all kind of looked up dumbfounded that they had been playing with one of the yeah. designers. 
And I was like, no, it's a really good question. And this is the way that it would go. And I, when I, I broke character, like I'm looking down, I'm actually trying to play the game and I was still kind of, I don't know, on another planet that my game is on a table at Gen Con and people are like excited about playing it. I look up and behind the guy that had asked the question, there was a, a guy cosplaying as 89 Batman, like the Keaton Batman, like full latex looking, like just the whole outfit, right? The Everything down to the yellow, like it was a solid outfit. So like, I'm like, oh my God, Batman is watching Batman being played. And he was next up. So when the game had finished, I have a picture of Batman playing Batman. Like as I'm watching it, it was, it's, it's just so weird. It's so weird. It's like, it was a dream at some point. And it's like, I'm waking up and it's just, it's, it's bonkers. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. It's funny. Cause I was going to ask like what your favorite and least favorite experience was of this journey, but it sounds like you've kind of already answered it. So, I mean, unless you have something else that you haven't already said. No, I, I've said, I mean, the, I guess the least was it, it not having, as minor as that is, that would yeah. be the least. And the most, the most was getting that email from Richard that says, congratulations, you're going to be a published designer. Like what? Like really? <laughs> That's so awesome. That's crazy. That's so amazing. <laughs> and so if you could offer a piece of advice to other designers, what would you tell them? So uh, every Sunday we meet at my local store to do a designer day. And the one piece of, and I just went over it again today with, with, with someone, the biggest thing that a designer can do is get something to the table as fast as possible, whether it's, and I, I, if you ever see me and I have my original prototype, index cards, pencil, Sharpie, whatever, stick figures, whatever it is, it does not have to look pretty. It just has to function. And there's so many people that will dive into making it look pretty first, getting all the components. Someone had just bought from an online place a bunch of 3D printed um, ships for the game he's trying to make. And I'm like, dude, use wooden chips. Use anything. Cut up a piece of paper wow. and draw yeah. a smiley face on it. Like Whatever you need to do to get it to the table because you end up spending so much time making it look pretty. Oh, what about this? What about that? And you have no idea where the game breaks. Like, get it, play it, find out. Don't even try and get to the end. Like, just take a turn and see what's going on. Is it fun? What doesn't make sense? All right, let's reiterate. Let's do it again. And getting something to the table as fast as possible, I think, is the most missed opportunity from, um, I don't, green. let's say green designers. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with that. I feel like my ideas, you also just, you know, really quickly if you should abandon an idea, if you get it out there. So that's also a nice thing to like save yourself yeah. some time and money. Yeah. Yeah. And those that like, somebody else today was talking about like, yeah, well, I'm going to change the board and I'm going to do this to it. And I'm going to draw this on it. And I'm well, don't seem it yet because the publisher that you're looking for might not want that type of game. And if you have seen it where it's coming across on the table as this game it might be a deterrent to a publisher signing that game because they don't want X, right? They, they're looking for something else. So if you, if you lean heavy into a theme and you make it all polished and pretty and pay for art and like, here's my game, all the cards have art on it and the board already has art, all of that can get thrown out when a pub, publisher Y signs it. And like, yeah, we're not going to do this. We're going to do this. 
like, all right, well, everything you just did is now out the window, which ultimately you signed your game. So that's what you're going for, but you wasted so much time, like making it pretty and ordering all this stuff to make it look pretty. Don't index cards and stick figures, man, just get it to the table, find out where the fun is, find out where it's broken. It's going to take a couple times to, to get through that and spending more time in your head doesn't help it fix itself on the table. So true. So do you have any other projects that people should be known about or in the works? I do. Um, I have, including Batman, I have four signed. Um, the other three I I cannot talk about. Um, Boo. <laughs> Just kidding. I know. I, I know. Um, they're... they're um, yeah, I, I can't. I don't know what I'm allowed to say, and I know they haven't been announced or yeah, mentioned don't say yet. It. So, we have yeah. a number. There's three things to look out for. That's awesome. Congrats. And then, so I'm the manager of game development for 3WS, and um, there are a ton of things that we're working on um, on that side, too, that are going to be fun. Those I can talk about. There's, um, there's seven in the hopper. I can talk about... Um, well, I guess I can only talk really about why well, I don't want to get into too many of them, but our next one is coming up, um, in February, it'll be on, on, um, I believe Kickstarter. Um, it's charcuterie, the board game, and you're going to be tasked with an I split you choose uh, tile drafting game of, uh, charcuterie items, trying to place them on your board with adjacency in mind to try and get like your, your meats next to cheeses or meats next to crackers and your, your, your pretty charcuterie board. Um, that one's been a lot of fun to, to work on. It's not my design. Um, it's designed by Whitney and Josh. Um, I'm just on the development side of it, and that one's going to be a lot of fun, which I, I find in this world now that we're, we find ourselves, there's, there's the design and then there's the development, and they're two different um, monsters, right? Being on the design side, designing a game, um, super fun. Be creative, get stuff to the table, break it, break it again. Um, being on the development side, you're given a game and now you're like, all right, you're, you got to break it quicker and you got to find like where it sings. Um, and sometimes that's overlooked by the design aspect. Um, it's been, it's been a different adventure and super fun. Oh, for sure. I enjoy designing and doing development work, but I don't enjoy doing development work on my own designs though. <laughs> That's never yeah. been a, f yeah, something I enjoy. I like when other people do it with me, like having some say, but in general, I prefer to pass it off to a different developer. You spend so much time on your design and you're so close to it. Um, that having to development, it's, it's really hard to get rid of stuff, right? When you, Initially, when I wanted to, and I have emails from Richard about this, when I wanted to fix something that seemed broken, I wanted to add to the game. All right, this seemed to do this thing. What if we added this? And Richard's like, no, 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 wait. Why don't we just do this instead? And obviously the experienced, the veteran designer is like, yeah, you're not doing that right. And I learned so much from that back and forth um, over those, what, six months of, of seven months, whatever it was of like, oh yeah, this is a great idea. And he's like, yeah, no, it's not. And this is why it's not a great idea. I was like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, which is, it goes back to like getting it to the table and trying to figure out like what works and what doesn't um, faster because you don't want to spend too much time in your head trying to figure out things that end up failing. Um, but yeah, totally different monster being a design 
focus rather than a development focus. Because now you're looking at components, you're looking at rule books, you're looking at like every line in a rule book contradicting itself. Like it's just a totally different monster. Oh, for sure. All right. Well, hey, then I guess this is a good way to segue to my last question, which is if you could be the designer of any game that you didn't design, which one would it be? Yeah, this is, it's such a good question. And we've talked about it on the full 42 with a couple other designers, because you can go the route of just a straight up like, man, I wish I made that because that game hit and that game made a ton of money. It won a game of the year. And I, I think that that's kind of the easy way right like who who wouldn't want to make ticket to ride right alan's a great guy he's a friend um he designed an amazing game that sells millions of copies and that's awesome but i don't think i would go that route i think i would go i it's such a tough question sorry oh it's really good though because there's so many games that are so good and so impactful in the hobby that have, you know, brought people in from wherever they're from, whatever they're doing, whatever one, they're doing. I know. I really, instinct. Like, it doesn't need to be your one forever, but for right now, what is it? I would have, just because of the fandom, and it would be so much fun to play in that world, I would have loved to design Marvel United. Oh, I did not expect that as your answer. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah, like figuring out how the X Men would play and how Wolverine would play and how Sabretooth would play and how the baddies uh-huh. would play, and then all of those, all of those iconic characters that I grew up loving in the comics. Um, it's what I appreciated working with Richard on Batman to be able to bring you know those characters to the table and be able to play. Uh, in that world and in Gotham City for a while, I think it would be super fun to be to wrap my head around the way that Marvel United plays because it's not it's it's got so many different facets to the game where there's the really the base level which is really super easily approachable, and then there's the expansions that just elevate the game um, and make it fresh every time you bring out the Thanos one or the Spidey one or whatever it is. Um, I think that would be, and there's so many iconic characters that you get to play with, right. And figure out how to tie them into their character. I think that would be, it would have, it would have been super fun to sit on that and design that game. Also, you'd get to work with Eric Lang and Eric is amazing. So. All right. Great answer. Uh, then thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 53, Batman the Animated Series, Gotham City Under Siege. And thanks again, Michael, for joining us. But anyone trying to find you online, where can you be reached? Uh, I live in a cave on Discord most of the day, um, either on the QSCON Discord, QSCON C-U-S-E, um, like Syracuse. Um, it's a convention I run here in Syracuse either on the full 42, which is a YouTube show that we, we, we do every Monday night, tomorrow night um, at nine o'clock Eastern. Danielle was on uh, a few weeks ago for a dressed up Halloween adventure. That was fun. You should look that mm, up. That was fun. Also three WS, uh, the, the discord for three WS. I kind of live in those three. Um, so if anyone's looking for me, uh, look there. If you use Facebook, um, if you go to QSCon on Facebook, you'll find the link to the discord and you can connect with me um, that way. Sweet. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can check me out at Token Gamer, and that's spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R, and that's for Twitter and Instagram. So yeah. Thanks again, though, man. I'm glad we finally got you on the show since we've been talking about it for quite some time. We have. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me and giving me the time and, and the stage to talk about Batman. It's something that's 
near and dear to my heart, but thank you also for the stuff that you do in the industry. You're a force and you're doing some amazing stuff. Aw, damn. That's so sweet. I'm glad I didn't end this episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I've, I've, talked about, I've talked about it before. You, you are an amazing person. Um, and the, 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 the stuff that you're doing and, and growing and promoting in the industry is um, both necessary and amazing. So keep on mm-hmm. keeping on. Thanks. I'll try my best. You're doing good. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.